Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Thank you guys all for being here. It's great to have you this morning. If this is your first time with us at Ridgeline, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm lead pastor here, and we're glad that you're here with us. We're in a series working our way verse by verse through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so if you have a Bible and you want to get a head start, I'm going to meet you in Philippians chapter 2 in just a couple of minutes. Uh, But before we we get to that, I just want to start this morning talking about uh, the challenge of finding the perfect gift for someone that you love. Now, some people, so it could be a friend, could be your spouse, a parent, boyfriend, girlfriend, whomever. Some people seem to have this like unique ability to buy great gifts. My friend Denise Mewborn, she's up in kids today. She's a great gift giver. She's very thoughtful. She's just very, very skilled at it. Um, That is not my gift. I rarely feel more incompetent than when I am trying to find the right gift for someone, Uh, especially my wife, Tammy. I don't think that I am probably... Um, more deficient in a particular area or more disappointing as a husband than when it comes to gift giving. Um, For instance, this is a, uh, if I had to estimate, I would guess that Tammy has returned roughly 75% of every gift I've ever given, like 75, anything I've ever given her. And I think that's generous. And I want to believe it's her problem. And in my heart, I know it's 100% me. I am just not, I'm just not good at, I got a couple things I'm good at. Gift giving is not one of them. But the good news is I came, up with, uh, I came up with a new strategy, and I feel like as your pastor and friend, it's important for me to share this with those of you that also suck at this like I do, okay? So here's what I did. Uh, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Tammy and I just celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary, uh, which was awesome. And uh, no, no claps for that, huh? Yeah, more than 50% of marriages end in divorce. I just feel like we should celebrate the fact that we're still going, right? All right, so, so I feel like 16th wedding anniversary, we don't always do gifts for each other, but I felt like it's, this deserves a gift. And so um, I did something I, I, I've never done before that I'll tell you about. So I, I knew as I was thinking about like, well, what could I get her? I knew that Tammy needed something that I have now learned uh, is called uh, sleepwear. Okay, I Googled pajamas, and apparently once you're over the age of six years old, no one calls them pajamas anymore. Um, and so, but I knew that, that that's what, that was something that she needed. So unfortunately, uh, that was only the first decision that I had to make. Um, I've always only slept in shorts. And so I had no idea the burden that women live with for how many variety of styles of sleepwear you are. It's one of the greatest decisions that you have to make in your lives. So what I did this year, something I've never done before, I went to a nice department store and I kid you not, I just bought every kind they had in multiple sizes. And then I put them all in a box and had them wrap them. And I just gave her the whole thing. And that way she got to go through and pay. it's like, I brought the shopping to her. It was, it was beautifully done. And so I just want you to know, um, it worked like it, it totally worked. Um, and so I think what was the most, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want to overuse this word or blow it out of proportion, but I guess what I'd say is I guess what was genius about my idea <laughs> is that my general idea was right. 
I knew this is something that she needs. I also know this is not something that she's going to buy for herself. The problem is sometimes my taste, as I've already admitted, really, really sucks. And so I just had to give her all the options and then the choice was in her hands. And so if you are like me and gift giving is not something that you are strong at, I commend this gift to you. And my point in this long, ridiculous story is that it can be a significant challenge to find the perfect gift for someone that you love. Now, here's my question for you. I wonder if you've ever thought about this in the context of your relationship with God. Now, obviously, there is no way to repay God for the overwhelming gift of grace that we have been shown by him, nor is he looking for us to repay that gift. But as we saw last week, the grace that we have been given by God should provoke a response inside of us. And so the real question is, what is the perfect gift that we, as a church family, can offer God in response to his grace toward us? And this is the very subject matter that Paul is going to lead us through in our text this morning. But before we jump in, I want to give you uh, a spoiler that we are going to spend our time unpacking. And so let me just lead with this big idea that comes out of our verses together this morning. And then we're going to look at this from a few different angles. Our big idea is this. The gift that God wants is a people who get along. The gift that God, if you ever wonder, like, what does God want for us? What does God want from us? I know this sounds like really, really elementary and basic, but I think you'll see the timeliness of it as we unpack this today. But the real gift that God wants is a people who get along. And so as we continue our search for encouragement in such discouraging times, I want to ask you again to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible this morning, it's going to be up on the screen. But this morning, I want to talk about giving God the gift he loves. And I'm going to make three observations about these verses. Very, very simple. Okay, here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, unity is the appropriate response to Jesus' love. Unity is the appropriate response to Jesus' love. Listen to verses one and two. Paul picks up, he says this, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. All right, now the plain reading of these verses makes it appear as though Paul is using conditional statements to make his point, hence the if-then statements that he uses. But in Greek, it's important to note that these if statements read more like presuppositions, and by that I mean that Paul is saying since then rather than if then. So he is affirming in these opening verses that they have in fact been recipients of the encouragement, the comfort, the relationship, affection, and mercy that flows through the grace of God in Christ. And because they have been recipients of that grace, Paul wants to instruct their response to it. See, sometimes the appropriate response to something is not always the immediate or the natural one. Sometimes the appropriate response needs to be instructed. So think about the way that young kids need to be instructed in like appropriate manners. I feel like half of parenting young kids is constantly instructing and correcting manners. 
You're always having to remind them to say simple things like please and thank you. But the truth is, it's not just a kid's thing. Adults need this too. One of the manners that my parents like just drove into me as a kid was holding a door for someone who was coming in beside me. And, and I cannot tell you the number of adult strangers who have walked through a door that I've held for them and not so much as even looked me in the eye, much less said thank you. And every single time it happens, I think like, you need to talk to my mom. <laughs> and I'm going to give her your number. See, the, see, sometimes the appropriate response to something is not always the immediate or the natural one. Sometimes the appropriate response needs to be instructed. And that's what Paul's doing here. He also connects their response to his joy. He's saying, man, here's what will bring me even more joy. Think the same way, have the same love, be united in spirit and intent on one purpose. Now, here is what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that you and I have to have the same opinion about everything. That's not what he's saying. When he says thinking the same way, he's not saying you guys need to all think the same things. One of the most beautiful, and let's admit, one of the most frustrating aspects of being part of a local church family is the, di the diversity of it. It's beautiful that, that ideally, inside of the Christian church, you should have an array of diversity in every way possible. And it's also a giant pain relationally, because it can be hard when we don't all think the same thing, but it's good. Paul would praise that, and Jesus loves diversity. What Paul is saying is that in the midst of our diversity, it is critical that our minds are committed to the same overarching purpose, which last week we defined as knowing Jesus and making him known. That's what we're supposed to be united on. So we don't all need to agree on every single political, theological, social, and personal conviction. We just can't disagree in a way that destroys our mutual commitment to our main purpose. Does that make sense? And so let's just strip this down to its studs for a second, because sometimes I think that we complicate the notion of unity unnecessarily. But the truth is, when the Bible talks about unity, it really means, here's what everyone can understand this. If I was teaching in Ridgeline Kids, they could understand this. When the Bible talks about unity, it literally means we should get along. That's what it means, that in the midst of our diversity, in the midst of our difference, which is good, we should still be able to get along. And sadly, it is so commonplace for churches to splinter and to fracture and to divide. And if you have never experienced that personally, there's one of two reasons why. Either, number one, you have been immensely fortunate or number two, you've just never been a part of a local church before. But more often than not, when that division happens, because I've been a part of it, I've seen it firsthand in multiple places, what, what tends to happen is we blame differing theological convi uh, convictions or different political ideologies, and sometimes we blame differing convictions about leadership structures or ministry programs, but let me just tell you the truth. Our differences are not the problem. It's our inability to get along in the midst of them. Too many Christians are like selfish toddlers fighting over a shovel in a sandbox. And nothing, nothing has destroyed our credibility in our culture 
more than our inability to love one another well. And it has become very, very common to blame progressive liberal shift that's taken place in so many churches as the reason that we have lost credibility. It's not that. It's because we don't love well. John 13, 35, Jesus himself said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, we have made morality the barometer of spiritual maturity, but Jesus said it was love. And so the gift that God wants is simply a people who get along. And so the question is, how do we maintain unity? I mean, we are arguably in one of the most divisive seasons in the history of modern Christianity. Can we agree on that? Good Lord, let's at least agree on that, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is admittedly one of the most divisive seasons that the Christian church as a whole has ever lived within. And so how do we work to protect unity? How do we not just go the way of culture? How do we not just go the way of the world? How do we live a distinct and better way as followers of Jesus? Which brings us to this question of how do we maintain unity? So here's my second observation from these verses. Number two, unity grows from the pursuit of humility. Unity grows from the pursuit of humility. And everybody always hears a point like that and they go, yeah, that's good. Just wait, okay? It's going to feel less good in just a sec. Look at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So Paul contrasts two ways of thinking and behaving. He starts by calling them away from the attitudes and the accompanying actions that destroy unity, and then calls them to pursue the virtue that promises to protect it. And I think this is critical instruction for us. Because if you think about it, healthy fruit requires the right conditions in which to flourish. So I had, a, about a month ago, I had to make a trip to Home Depot, one of my least favorite places on the planet, and uh, I had to pick up mulch to freshen up the flower beds uh, at our house. Now, even though mulch is the only thing that I needed, I got sucked in by all these landscaping options in the lawn and garden area. And so I was looking at flowers and herbs and shrubs and trees. It was just endless. And even though I don't know anything about either growing or caring for plants, I had this moment where I thought, you know what Tammy would love even more than just fresh mulch? is if she came home and I had planted a bunch of flowers as well. Now, thankfully, I quickly recognized three problems with this idea. Number one, I was surely going to kill everything that I planted. Mulch is already dead, so that's my 10 and 2 when it comes to gardening, okay? That's my safe place. Second problem is flowers, uh, and this was news to me, are terribly expensive. So if, if, it, even if a miracle happened and I didn't kill these flowers, Tammy was certainly going to kill me when she saw how much I had spent on them. But the third, and this was really the kicker, is I was, I was overwhelmed by the fact that all of these plants require completely different conditions in which to thrive. So some of them need full sun and hardly any water. 
Some needed partial sun and tons of water. Some of these things just grow in the shade. And so my head was just like spinning as I was reading all of these tags that demanded different conditions. And as I was reading Paul's words here, I was thinking about those tags. Healthy fruit requires the right conditions in which to flourish. And so here's what I think we learn from Paul here. Humility is the soil in which unity grows. Humility is the soil in which unity grows. Both selfish ambition and conceit are focused on the self. So I am the center of my universe. My desires and needs are paramount. Everyone else takes a backseat to me. But humility, you know, is the opposite of that. The Greek word that we translate as humility is actually a compound word. It comes from two Greek words that literally mean um, lowly and mind. So it literally means lowliness of mind. Now this does not mean having a low self-concept. So it doesn't mean that we like walk around thinking that we're all trash and you're not worthy of love and dignity and if that, that you are not inherently valuable. The truth is we are, all of us, created in the very image of God. So no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, you are valuable to God and to others. So humility does not demand a low view of oneself. It means not presuming that because of your inherent value, everyone should order their lives around you. So C.S. Lewis famously said, humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. Humility means thinking of yourself less. So humility means ordering your life around the good of those who are in your life. And understanding this makes it clear why humility is the soil in which unity grows. Because at the heart of all division is the unwillingness to prioritize the interest of others in favor of preoccupation with your own. And so if we want to foster unity in our relationships, particularly here in our church, we have to choose humility over self. And humility, again, is ultimately about love. It's been said that love begins when someone else's needs are more important than your own. And so humility, it, it, it drives our willingness to serve on a team here at Ridgeline. Many of you serve on one of our missional teams. That's putting the, it's, I mean, it's a lot easier to just show up here at 10 and sing a few songs and listen to a sermon and go home, right? But humility is the reason that someone say, you know what, I don't want to just consume, I want to contribute for the good of everyone else. So humility is what drives service. Humility uh, is what drives the generous decision to give generously toward our mission here at Ridgeline. Humility means patiently bearing with people who are challenging. Amen? I don't want to, real quiet. Humility means apologizing when you're wrong, rather than rationalizing and justifying. Some of us have the spiritual gift of rationalizing how awful we can be. But humility says, no, I'm going to own this and I'm going to apologize. Humility also means forgiving when other people hurt us. And so at the risk of, of alienating half of the room, let me just share one more decision that humility should drive for us. Um, raise your hand if you are sick to death of hearing the word COVID. Okay? Me too. 
I need to, I need to have like a vulnerable moment with you for a second and, and to lean into something that, again, runs the risk of making some of us uncomfortable. And so I just want to preface it by saying I love you and I really love us. And I already know of churches that have been like not just lives that have been destroyed by this virus, but churches that have been destroyed by it as well. And I got to tell you, I don't think that anything breaks the heart of God more than a church being destroyed by disagreement about how to handle things surrounding this virus. So if you could do me the great favor, I could care less about the politics around this. I'm not a doctor. So I just wanna, I just wanna talk about where we're at with this right now so that again, we can continue to choose humility and to move forward in unity. COVID's not gonna kill our church, amen? Easy to amen it. It's gonna take humility for us to actually walk through this together. As I'm sure you're aware, COVID numbers, unfortunately, are back on the rise everywhere. And these new variants that we're all hearing so much about, they are sadly proving much more contagious than it originally was. And so as always, we're trying to do our best as a church to keep, on the one hand, everyone healthy, and then on the other hand, to abide with what we have been asked to abide with here at Salt Lake Community College. We don't own this place. We're a tenant here. We're also a very unique tenant because uh, we're not a part of the school. We rent this space and the campus is closed on Sundays. We're the, they have given us an immense amount of trust and leeway by allowing us to be here on Sunday mornings. They let us come back sooner than many other groups were allowed to do anything here. So we have worked very, very hard to continue to steward and honor that trust well. And so it's important that we just continue to remember what has been asked of us. And so to that end, I wanna remind you what the current protocols that have been asked of us are. And if there's one thing that has been, I mean, there's a million things that have been hard about COVID, but confusing communication is a big one. And we've, you just hear so many messages and we have heard multiple messages. And so we are doing our best to prioritize, again, our relationship and our integrity and reputation with this school above the confusion. And so here is what has been asked of us. For those of you who are fully vaccinated, there is currently no need for masks or social distancing. And for those who choose not to be vaccinated or have not been vaccinated yet, we are asked to wear masks here on Sunday morning, both in service and for the entirety of serving. And this is what we have agreed to with the school. And I just wanna to continue to ask that everyone would please help us follow through on that agreement. I have been under the assumption that everyone not wearing a mask has been fully vaccinated. And it's become to my attention that that is not the case. And so I want you to know, man, I understand that there are varying levels of comfort with this vaccine. And if we're gonna live out what Paul's talking about here, it is okay that we do not all agree on this vaccine in particular. But we do need to allow humility to drive our actions, no matter what we believe about it. And so if you choose to be vaccinated, great. If you choose not to be vaccinated, please wear a mask as a means of living out this very humility that Paul commends to us here. Again, we are not talking about political ideology. I understand that it's been politicized, but we're not, that's not who we are. That's not what we're talking about. This is simply a matter of us trying to protect our church and our, the health of our church, and also protect the integrity of our church with this school. That's really what we're after. And humility is the heartbeat of Christian faith. 
So man, I understand it's confusing. When you walk outside, there's a new sticker on the door that says like, to wear a mask or not wear a mask, you choose. Well, that's real confusing because that's not the agreement that we have signed with this school. And so we're gonna continue to move forward with the agreement that has been asked of us and we would ask you to please participate with us in that. Does that make sense? Good, we still friends? Good, well, everyone not nodding is apparently finding a new church next week. So I love you, help us out. That's all we're asking. Again, because hum- like this is where like one thing I refuse to be is the kind of pastor that only teaches the Bible in a way that is not very practical and doesn't challenge us in any way. Everything we read in God's word should come to bear on our very real lives. And this is an area, again, where there is just an immense amount. We've had people leave our church because our COVID protocols weren't strict, uh, strict enough. We've had people leave our church because our COVID protocols are too strict. I got to tell you, I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm tired of it. And I want you to know that. And you are tired of it as well. I understand that. And we can't let something stupid like COVID kill our church. Amen? So we need to continue to move forward with humility. The gift that God wants is a people who get along. And that humility grows from the pursuit of humility. And then finally, number three is this. Humility is perfectly personified by Jesus. Humility is perfectly personified by Jesus. Look at these last verses, 5 through 11. One of the most beautiful sections on Jesus in the entire New Testament. So Paul challenges us again. He says, adopt the same attitude of that as Christ Jesus. That's a pretty high bar. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So notice how Jesus' example personifies humility for us. And practically speaking, this example that Paul points out is helpful because sometimes instruction requires demonstration in order to be fully imitated, right? One of my favorite things about my gym is that we have in-person coaching in every single class. And so before we ever run or row a meter, before we ever pick up a barbell, our coaches explain the workout, but then they break down every movement. And so think about how much clarity it provides when I get to actually watch them move through something in addition to having it explained to me. Like there, there are certain movements that you might do that if someone just verbally explained to you how it works, like if someone tells you how to do a burpee, it just sounds like you're throwing yourself on the ground and standing back up. So to see someone actually demonstrate that is helpful by pairing the instruction with demonstration, it makes imitation possible for us. And the same thing is true of the way that Jesus demonstrated humility. Paul doesn't just say, humble yourself, and then leave us to guess at what that looks like. Instead, he says, humble yourself in the same manner that Jesus did. Even though Jesus, God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, 
even though that's who he was, he made the selfish decision not to exploit that privilege. Instead, he forfeited that privilege for us. He left the comfort of heaven to assume human form. He spent a lifetime serving others tirelessly, and then in the ultimate act of loving humility, he willingly chose to sacrifice his own life in order to save others. And so Paul holds up the overwhelming example of Jesus, and he says, this is what humility should look like in our midst. Deep sacrificial service for one another should be our norm. And humility is not convenient. Humility is not comfortable. Humility is not cheap. In fact, it can be costly, painful, and prohibitive. The problem is, humility is the price of unity. And unity is the appropriate response to Jesus' love. The real gift God wants is a people who get along. And so before we close, it's critical that we not only see the sobering side of humility, but also I want you to notice God's response to it. Because Jesus chose to humble himself and pour himself out for others. And in response, God the Father exalted him. And God does the same for you and I. If you have ever wondered what kind of life on which God pours out blessing, it's the life of humility. And that means humbling ourselves over and over and over and over in ways that are not always comfortable. And this getting along that God wants for us is the byproduct of you and I choosing to humble ourselves every single day. That's the soil from which it grows. And so as we get ready to close, I want you to think about where you might be feeling some relational tension right now. So maybe you have a relationship in your life where maybe there's a little bit of conflict. There's, again, there's just tension. You're not really sure what to do with it. I want you to think about where you might have that right now. And, and here's what I would say. Regardless of the circumstances that have caused that tension, I can almost promise that the solution is a matter of humility. Almost every, if not every single time. And so don't leave without thinking through a specific area in which Maybe you need to walk in humility. The real gift that God wants is a people who get along. And so let's commit to humility at all costs. Will you pray with me? And then we're going to remember communion together. Jesus, we thank you for your grace that you have poured out in our lives. We thank you that you were willing to humble yourselves because of your humility. It's because of your humility we are here. It's because of your humility that we can be in relationship with you because you chose to forego your privilege. You did not exploit that or take advantage of that. You were willing to step aside from that, to humble yourself, and to become obedient in our place, and to give your life for our sin. And so, Lord, we are grateful for that, that you are healing us, that you have redeemed us, that you are restoring the parts of us that are broken. You are putting the shattered parts of our souls back together right now. And humility is what did that. And so we thank you. 
and I just confess how hard unity is for, or humility is for me and humility is for us. It's much easier for us, Lord, to prioritize our own good, our own way, our own desires. And so we just ask, Lord, that you would give us the ability to follow your example and to humble ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that as humility becomes part of our culture, as it marks us as individuals and it marks us as a church, I pray that our, that our friendships would thrive because of humility, that our marriages would thrive because of humility, that our church would thrive because of humility. So Lord, I pray that you would foster and cultivate that. Let that be the soil in which unity grows. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.